Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 15th, 2013. I always suggest that newcomers make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Lots of audios for free download there. I go through the system and I've been doing it for years and putting these audios up for years, so there's lots of them to go through and you'll find out how the system came to be and basically how it was formed and how foundations sprung up a hundred years ago. Actually, older than that, in fact, under different guises. But eventually they call themselves foundations, tax-free philanthropic foundations, and they formed a parallel government. And they had the top, the brightest people, basically, are the most educated people in the world working for them, and they go in and out of politics across the whole planet all the time. So there are CEOs of corporations that go in and out of them too, and as I said, they go into political positions and bureaucracies as well. And they formed a big club a hundred years ago to to sound very officious. In fact, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations uh, to, to basically set up this club across the world where they'd run all the media, uh, entertainment, and, and basically all politics as well, and bring in a global governance system based on, on not what you'd think, but a form of socialism because socialism is the easiest way to control the masses of people by big bureaucracies and government too across the world. And the elite should fleece them because they do believe that at the top, the boys who formed these big foundations were already the richest people on the planet and that that meant the most advanced and therefore they had the right to run all the rest of the people down below. And that's why George Orwell and many others talked about the proles at the bottom. The proles don't count. We just get outraged, as they say, and, and we go, ooh and ah, that's terrible, as we get fleeced and fleeced and fleeced. But that's really the history of the world, in a sense. And these boys formulated it into a system a 100 years ago and decided to, to really push it from there on. They plan the future which is all planned by private organizations working for them. And private organizations draft up massive treaties at the United Nations, which is also owned by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They set it up. And, and, and all governments sign on to them, which affects all of us. We don't vote for these organizations. They're private. And, and yet we call ourselves democracy and all this nonsense. Anyway, help yourself to the, to the audios. Remember too, those transcripts for print up and all the sites listed at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And you can also get transcripts in other languages for print up if you go into alanwattsentinel.eu. Remember too, you can help me take along here by buying the books and discs that I have at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And from the US to Canada, you can still order using personal checks or international postal money orders or use PayPal or even send cash. Across the world, get Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations are seriously welcome because that's sometimes all that trickles in once in a blue moon.
But we're living through amazing times. This is the, the century of change, the, the 21st century, the time that they planned all this to come into being. And the 1800s and the 1900s they talked about the age of Aquarius and all this mythological nonsense and esoteric stuff because they used all of that before. Religion's a great way to push through big, big changes, cultural changes. That's why they brought up Blavatsky and all these people too and Theosophy, etc. And, uh, and also they actually helped deform the women's groups and feminism and break the family unit. All the things that stopped uh, really a small elite from taking over the world, it was based on the family because families stand up and fight against authority if someone's been utterly victimized. And then other families which are very similar, they have a lot in common then being families, they all stand up together. So that had to be eliminated. And George Orwell, not George Orwell, but um, H.G. Wells actually, who was a propagandist uh, for this organization, because they also formed the Fabian Society to control all the left-wing changes. He's, he went through this whole agenda too. He called it the open conspiracy. He wrote about it. People should read that too. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and as I was saying there about um, Blavatsky, and back in her day too, they talked about merging the religions of the West with that of India and other countries of the Far East, and of course that was to be the New Age, which of course in the 20th century was really promoted big time from the 60s onwards, the New Age. And, uh, and that was to destroy the old religions too, which again gave people their cultures in the countries of Europe, etc. That had to be destroyed. All that was pretty well done very carefully with psychedelic drugs too and, and the rock music coming out at the same time, all planned that way and promoted from the top down. It's always promoted from the top down. Plato said cultural changes can only be allowed by the top and put out by the top. Something that's truly from the bottom could upset that kind of ripple effects uh, all the, the, the plans at the top if it took off. So it doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen. But it's fashion or whatever. The culture industry and entertainment industry is so important uh, to keep control of the people. Because most of the programming we get is through fiction, actually. Especially today. But uh, we live in a time of greed, massive greed too, and that's okay at the top because universities churn out people and economists and business people who are taught that greed is good. And there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's an old-fashioned concept that it's bad. And they try to get maximum profit they could possibly can from whichever way they can do. And uh, you find that uh, lawyers, again, I mean, all the TV dramas you get on lawyers and doctors and police, it's all propaganda, like Jack C. Law said. It's meant to make you think they're, they're, they really sit up all night worrying about clients and the innocent and stuff like that. Nothing's further from the truth, of course. They work on finding ways for big corporations to scam the public generally or to get big, big tycoons off the hook. But here's an article here, for instance, that said the National Health Service in Britain. That's why they love National Health Services. Remember, Lenin said that the centralization was awfully important. So did Marx before him, of course. And Lincoln certainly followed that. He was congratulated by Marx for centralizing the government of the U.S., in fact. But... um, Centralization is so important to them. And of course the big foundations that are simply the carry on from all of this, this big, very old plan of course, uh, push the same thing. Global governance, etc. Uh, international treaties. 
and and of course you have corporate governance as well now that work with governments because that was always the plan. The same guys, as I say, become CEOs of corporations, they move into politics and then back in again, end up like musical chairs, and we call this democracy. But again, they live awfully well off the public, uh, whether it's in private business or in politics, and and of course they have a, a completely different set of wages for all employees in government, uh, right down to the bottom. Completely different and far removed. It's a different reality from from the average private sector. Now it says the National Health Service in Britain, and remember America is, is going to push for this too. It says it's a hit for millions uh, of bucks it is by overcharging scam, and the drug companies exploit a loophole in the law helped by lawyers, of course, to hike prices by as much as 2,000%. And it's a good article, actually. It's drug companies have been accused of highway robbery of the NHS, which is the taxpayers, by using legal loopholes, put in there legally, you see. And that's what lawyers do. They scour the books. If, it's not, if they don't know it's already put in there by their pals, you know, in the Supreme Courts and things like that, then they, they have to find them. But just to push up the price of medicines in some cases up to 2,000% at a cost of taxpayers of tens of millions a year. Now that's called good business practice. It's been in business school. It is. Maximize the profit. It says at least 15 drugs have substantially increased in price after being flipped from one firm to another according to information obtained by the doctors. The legal scam has prompted, we get this out word again, we get, at the bottom we get a strange word, it's called outrage, you know. From the, the, British, the British Medical Association, which has warned that vital treatments risk being denied to patients if costs rise so much that the National Health Service can no longer afford them. I like their logic here. But it says that the controversial practice involves big pharma firms selling on medicines commonly used by the NHS to businesses acting outside the government's price regulation scheme. The purchasing firms are then free to mark up the prices they charge the NHS. In other words, it's, it's done by the big pharmas themselves, who in league with these other companies, and they'll, they'll then sell to them, with a deal made, obviously, that they get part of this big markup kicked back to them. It's just one of the worst cases, the cost of an epilepsy drug prescribed to thousands of patients by the health service was increased by 24 times the original price. Meanwhile, testosterone patches given to both men and women suffering from hormone imbalances jumped from £26 per 300 grams to £395 after being sold on to the next company. And the price of a medication used to treat mental health problems such as anxiety and schizophrenia rocketed from around £4 per 5 millilitres to £23, a markup of 607%. It's understood that at least 15 drugs currently being supplied to the NHS have seen their price tags increase substantially after being sold from one pharmaceutical firm to another, it says. And the British Medical Association has now called on the government to take action to close the loophole. Well, you know how government moves around corners. It's on square wheels, you know, deliberately, of course, which is being exploited by some of the world's biggest drug manufacturers. They say that it could be costing the NHS and taxpayers up to an extra £100 million per year at a time when health budgets are being slashed. Well, they're slashing the health service to the bare bone. Remember what they say the United Nations. All countries eventually will have a form of national health service providing the most minimal care. Minimal care, folks. Of course, it's a two-tier thing. It's a different one for those who are rich, of course. Politicians, too, signed an agreement back in the 90s and Western governments, where they and their families all get treated in special uh, um, uh, medical facilities owned by the military complex. But not you. 
It says, government attempts to hold down the price of drugs by the NHS through the pharmaceutical price regulation scheme under which the Department of Health negotiates what it considers a fair price for a patented medicine. But increasingly, some large companies uh, manufacture legally overriding the arrangement through a loophole that allows them to sell the marketing rights to a treatment when its patent expires. The bar is then able to rebrand the drug under a new name and sell it back to the NHS in a generic form at a vastly inflated price because it no longer falls under the PPRS agreement. Of course, there's a kickback to the company, of course. Dr. Peter Holden, a senior member of the BMA, said this is the drug companies flipping the drugs over to another firm for personal gain and milking the NHS for more money. And it says to the biggest problems here with the, or the biggest companies involved so far, I mean, they'll all be in it. It says that, uh, um, say, Pfizer is one of them. It says the, the biggest worry centers on the sale of epilepsy drugs, Epinutin, by the manufacturer of Pfizer to another business, Flynn Pharma. The medication, which used around 100,000 people across Britain, originally cost 67 pence per 50 milligram. But after the sale, the price shot up to almost 16 pounds for the same amount, representing a 2,385% increase. It was estimated that this market will force the NHS to spend an extra 50 million just for that one drug. And it's renamed Phenotoin. That's been around for years and years and years, this drug. This is Dr. Bill Beebe, chairman of the BMA's clinical and prescribing committee, companies such as Pfizer, when the planet's largest pharmaceutical firms worth around £44 billion, and the much smaller Flynn Pharma were committing highway robbery, through, though their, although their actions are entirely legal. You'll find, too, a lot of these, the way things work in business, too, a lot of these smaller companies are really, if you really were to get through all the, 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 all the, the firewalls, it's, it's really owned by the same big boys. This is an old, old scam. Old scam, same shareholders at the top. So anyway, that's legal to rip off the public, but we've almost, always known that, haven't we? Now also, I don't know why this is even a story, because everybody yawns at these stories now. It says the bloody day that Prince Harry was witness to a horrific war crime. He was just 220 yards away when the U.S. Special Forces trooper fired, fired a machine gun at Afghan goat herders. So he saw them gun down these group of shepherds, but that happens all the time over there. And it says, the shocking is shocking. Who's shocked about it? Are we still shocked these days? It says, was confirmed last night by the Ministry of Defense, and it triggered a war crimes investigation by U.S. military police. And it took place on Harry's first frontline tour of Afghanistan, which until today had been shrouded in secrecy. And he was near the, the back lines, of course. He wasn't in the front lines. And also... The cons that go on with, with politicians is, is endless. I mean, that's what they're there for, isn't it? To con the public. And conology, as I say, is awfully, awfully old. And people do fall for it an awful lot. Doesn't matter how many, t- or how old you live either, you are, uh, it, it, you just, you, you keep, people keep voting. Uh, hoping that some, this guy looks nice. He looks nice. That's what the women say generally. They look they like the nice looking ones. And the ones who are got snazzy dresses on, you know, dressed really well. And, uh, and and the guys that are looking for somebody who, who looks them straight in the eye or the camera and, and doesn't smirk and all that kind of stuff. That's why they got Bill Clinton in. And he was awfully good at staring in the camera and saying certain things he didn't do. But anyway, that's how people really are at the bottom. It's all staged, folks. It's just a show. You'll never know who these people really are personally. Everything that's written about them and everything else is photo ops with their families. Except they could, might not even be their families for you, know. It's completely stage managed, has been your whole life and before you were born. 
and it's a perfect art today. But anyway, uh, in Australia, of course, they were celebrating Gillard getting dumped by a party, and this guy Kevin Rudd, that was in before, uh, I think he's also a member of the Fabians. But anyway, um, it says it dumps Gillard's carbon tax. Now, that's not true when you read on, it's not. So a senior government source confirmed late Saturday that Labour would move to an emissions trading scheme by next July. Tony Abbott concused Mr Rudd of trying to deceive Australians into believing he was backing away from a carbon tax which had uh, slugged Australian families and businesses. Mr Rudd can change the name, but whether it's fixed or floating, it's still a carbon tax. In other words, a, a tax is a tax by any other name. The opposition here said it's still a tax on electricity bills, which will start still hurt families and still hurt local business and so on, all the rest of it. So, uh, this is things go on. I've always said this: doesn't matter the parties are changing leaderships, the same agenda goes on, folks. It's been that my whole life. I've noticed that with them, in every country, by the way. Politics is really a placebo to keep you quiet and hope that something will eventually go right. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And and also two years ago I mentioned going through the whole agenda to do with uh, the EU, the super state, the EU, the new Soviet basically. But it was really set up again and drafted up uh, and worked on by again boys in the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations. And their idea was to, to again amalgamate countries by, but not spook the public too much as they were going through it and, and to saying it was just for free trade, etc. and and economic uh, things and so on to help to help everybody. And of course, then they pushed and pushed it. Then they set up a parliament. Then they told the public, and it was all done. But uh, now they're integrating everything, and all the governments that were once sovereign are now basically provinces of this big superpower. And again, too, von Rompuy has mentioned that too. He says the national state is dead. I read the article from his speech a couple of years ago. Anyway, uh, here's the next step too, and I mentioned this years ago because they have to go all the way. Not because I'm, I'm a good guesser, it's because these guys print their stuff out years in advance uh, in their own publications to each other, basically. No one else reads them, and they tell you where, where, where they're, they're going, actually, with everything. And they want to take over the world's food supply, of course. And they've pretty well done it with the big five, five agribusinesses. Remember, too, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR, uh, said in their own writing, or the writings by their own historian, Carl Quigley, that uh, international corporations will be, the CEOs of them will, will be the new feudal overlords in the new feudal system. And that's what you have today. The, the corporations tell governments what to do. Uh, governments are in on the joke, of course, because they're all part of it as well. And if the politicians do awfully well, they get on board with these big corporations once they leave politics. They're well rewarded. But food is an awful important thing, and they want a planned society, remember. This, this bunch of planned society for the future, and they want to control every facet of your life, including what you eat. And many years ago, they talked about this too, taking over the food supply of the world. When they set up the United Nations, they had the Department of Agriculture set up, and one of the women there who was head of it at the time, years ago, said that food has always been used as a weapon. And, of course, food is used as a weapon in all ages. So is water, by the way. 
as you see, all getting privatized. But anyway, it says here, uh, the EU is fast approaching food tyranny. The EU undertakes to radically transform people's dietary habits. The EU, in partnership with the World Wildlife Fund, now again a private organization owned by the big boys at Royal International Affairs, has just released a strategy report dubbed Adopting Healthy Sustainable Diets, Key Opportunities and Barriers, PDF, which is part of Live Well for Life, which is a a pioneering project which aims to, to contribute towards the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from the EU food supply chain and demonstrate what sustainable diets could look like for different European countries. Now remember, you've read this before, this kind of stuff, Greenhouse gas emissions, the methane, etc., the cattle, the animals, and all the rest of it, which you eat, they want to eradicate them all together, and they will do so. They will do so. They can make it impossible for farmers to simply keep farming if they, if they want to. And they do. And it says the report introduction begins by stating that the European super state now needs to control the food diets. Food consumption patterns in Europe are currently unsustainable. There's that word again. European food consumption is responsible for a large part of the EU's greenhouse gas emissions here, the, the next con. It's accepted that there needs to be a reduction in global greenhouse gas emissions, which are contributing to climate change, another con. Live Well for Life is a pioneering project which aims to contribute towards the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from the EU food supply chain and demonstrate what sustainable diets could look like for different European countries. It says that it's a summary of the efforts of Live Well for Life and the network of European food stakeholders to find the most important social and economic barriers and opportunities for sustainable diets in Spain, France and Sweden and the EU. It's no secret that environmentalist, left-wing, vegetarian, authoritarian wackos have had their eye on dictating human-eating habits for a long time and have had a hard time stomaching our appetite for meats on our plates and barbecue grills. And it says, I'll give you an example of it on this, this site, which I'll put all the links up tonight for, by the way. It says, um, before too long, we'll have to content ourselves with celery and carrot sticks. No, they're going to give you crickets. We wouldn't think all that nonsense came from how wonderful it would be to eat a, a plate of crickets. It says on page 11 to 12, the Italian uh, Barilla Center for Food Nutrition has identified the rise of the responsible consumer and what terms consumer actors, sustainability-savvy customers who want to be involved in the food production process. According to its research, people's dietary habits will have to radically transform in order to meet the dietary and nutritional needs of a growing population in a world that's more affluent and more urbanized, and they'll have to take responsibility for their choices too, something that may come as a shock to the average postmodern consumer. Now, this all ties in too and, uh, with uh, the whole idea of your, 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 your particular your credit your cards that you use at uh, convenience stores and so on, your grocery stores. And I've read the articles on there where they get the governments, the governments are getting everything that you purchase and what you're eating and your family is eating and how they're going to use that to eventually come down on you and tell you, you got to cut, cut out this and cut this out and cut that out, etc. Mind you, they'll give you some little free thing at the end of it and you'll jump at it because that's how silly you all are. It says a, a growing number of consumers uh, are open to the idea of changing their diets. Then it gives you examples and so on, which is nonsense, nonsensical polls that don't exist. It says the largest food and staple is meat and dairy products as the targets. Getting people to change their eating habits and abstain from consuming certain staples is no easy task. The report has identified motivation factors. Interestingly, environmental factors rank at the very bottom. So this is your new world order, really, really moving 
and they'll get their way because people don't say stand up together and say no. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix. And, you know, you, you, you waste your days basically going through a lot of stuff if you get something worth reading. And even then you have to analyze it and break it down and tie in your head things that you remember uh, and to really break it down into more factual factual reasoning, basically. Because all, pretty well all media is meant for a spin or simply to confuse you or omit a lot of, of information which gives you a false conclusion at the end. But, uh, I mean, society's wrecked. It's been wrecked on purpose. That was, that's, you've been under war for a long time and you don't even know it. Or even who from. Or why. And I really mean that. It's a complete war. That was aimed, it's, it's mainly the Western countries. It's their, their system of living, their government, but their system of living as well. Uh, their, their natural cultures, everything about their culture and so on, had to be eradicated. I've gone through the, the Frankfurt School many times, and they really were strategists to do with this too, who would take over culture and to help destroy the existing cultures, which they say were, were basically ill. They were ill cultures, uh, and even uh, malevolent cultures to other groups, you see. But um, it's been done awfully, awfully well. I mean, today I skipped through one article. It was about a judge in Canada, a woman, uh, Laurie uh, Douglas, her name was. And she she was, uh, she's, apparently she's all over the Internet with all kinds of nude photographs and so on, having sex with people and, and using different toys, etc. And this is, a, this is a, a top judge, top judge. And, of course, all the, the, the legal systems trying to protect her, Derriere, if I may say that, uh, in many, many ways, and and to and she's still getting paid a lot of cash just for being on hold at the moment. But um, this is to be expected as degeneration continues and gets worse and worse and worse, thanks to Hollywood and everything you watch on television, because it's weaponized. Like the Frankfurt School said, step by step by step, you, the people adapt, and until there's no memory of how it was even 30 years ago. And the present generation are corrupt. They don't know that themselves are corrupt. They think it's all quite normal. Uh, and they themselves have uh, lots of um, problems, really, in different areas. They, they, can't, they don't know what fidelity is anymore, basically. Promiscuity has been promoted their whole lives. Anyway, uh, and then you jump from that and you look into this one here. It has to do with uh, politics again. I mean, uh, corridors of power, it says, or powder. Corridors of powder. The drug scandal at the Houses of Parliament in Britain after traces of cocaine are found on the toilets across palaces, across every toilet, across the palace of Westminster. This is the evidence of Class A drug use detected in UK's seat of power. Chemical swabs found substances on toilet seats and hair dryers. Drug was also found in toilets close to the Member of Parliament's offices, and which were away from the public areas, so it was the politicians. 
course, they've all known that for years. Evidence of cocaine use has been found inside the toilets and says, and it says traces of the Class A drug were found in nine toilets throughout the Palace of Westminster, the meeting place of the UK's political elites. The powder was detected in toilets used by guests at, at par- Parliament's bars, as well as cubicles a few yards away from the MPs' offices. Here's where members of the public are restricted from going. And it says, um, the drug use was uncovered using cocaine in indicator swabs, which come up with blue blotches when rubbed on surfaces where the drug has been laid out in lines, such as toilet seats and hair dryers. The swabs are used by the police and custom officers. As Parliament toilets are cleaned regularly, the white powder must have been snorted in the past few hours, according to reports from The Sun, who did the testing. Well, of course, they've been, always been at that too. It says users would have to smuggle the drug past extensive security checks and 500 police officers and guards. Reporters acting on a tip-off from a House of Commons insider claim they have found evidence of the drug in the cubicles of the toilets outside Strangers' Bar and in private areas close to MPs' offices. He said, with uh, decadence come, it comes something rotten. It says, it suggests there's something rotten about the institution itself. And to, on two occasions, cannabis has been confiscated at Westminster entry checkpoints since the start of 2008, according to Freedom of Information requests. A parliamentary spokesman said, Parliament is a public place, and we welcome over a million visitors a year who have either direct access to these facilities or access when accompanied. Clearly, it's inappropriate to monitor what happens in toilet facilities. In addition, we have issued over 14,000 passes held by contractors and other third parties, as well as staff of both houses, members and staff. It is consequently impossible to know who may be involved. Our security researchers are focused on preventing harm to others and the building, not the detection of small amounts of drugs. Well, of course, it's not for them. Uh, it's definitely on the streets, of course, around, around London, of course, where the cops can stop everybody and search them for everything, including drugs. And since Parliament takes the issue of substance abuse very seriously, of course they do, they want to keep it quiet. And it says, a few days ago, a parliamentary watcher said MPs should have an 11% pay rise to £74,000 a year. I guess, you know, the, that's their pay raise. And also remember, too, the, what they get in expenses is phenomenal, way beyond 74000 And travel expenses and their meals and free meals is for as long as they're in and all that kind of stuff. It says, in 2005, a German television station found traces of cocaine in 41 of 46 toilets tested at the European Parliament in Brussels. And these are the characters also, too, that come out of business and politics. And this is their lifestyle, folks. This is their lifestyle. And and you vote these characters in. You know, you do. See, in the old days, the politicians used to go to the bars during their breaks and get sloshed. And you can always tell who was sloshed by the, by the red noses and the guys who fell asleep uh, during question period and all that. You could see them, at least if you showed but not now. They're all a bit higher on, on coke and everything else. And then they create things through, create laws through that that one time would have shot people by by the money that cost the taxpayer. They just ram them through one after another now because they're high. They're high. It's quite simple. But that's, you see, we've been destroyed by a war, as I say, it's been going on, and people didn't even know it was happening. And also, this article too about, um, <laughs> it says, State of Vermont and the Ski Vermont co-sponsors nation's largest LGBT family festival. Everybody's cashing in on money, you see, and who, who they can bring into it. And because uh, this is a handout by the organization, uh, right into the papers, 
So it says the, 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 the Vermont Department of Tourism and Marketing and Vermont Ski Areas Association, it says it put it out, known for its warm and welcoming and LGBT progressiveness. Uh, Vermont continues to be an advocate of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender culture, sponsoring LGBT events and promoting Vermont as a four-season LGBT destination. This is an ad. This is, this is um, the Ski Areas Association and Vermont Department of Tourism and Marketing are co-sponsoring Family Week, August 3rd to 10th in Provincetown. This is organized by the Family Equality Council. The Family Equality Council. The 18th uh, annual uh, Family Week is the largest national gathering of the LGBT-headed family community. And across Vermont, citizen businesses continue to make a concerted effort towards welcoming them in the community. Uh, Tourism uh, Commissioner Megan Smith said, head of the curve for more than a decade before DOMA ruling, Vermont led the nation in LGBT equality and we take pride in being a progressive, welcoming state. It's all about money. It's all about cash, folks. Big money. Big biz. But it's handy, too, to break up society into different groups like different tribes, isn't it? And then you cater to independent ones, individual ones. Business never loses an opportunity. How can we turn this to our advantage? That's the first thing they say, eh? So I'll put this one up, too. And also, this is an interesting one. It says, The dirty secret of Britain's power madness. Polluting diesel generators built in secret by foreign companies are to kick in when there's no wind for the turbines and other insane but true eco-scandals. Moving to wind power is expected to cost £1 billion a year by 2015. Official figures on the size of the green economy are extremely misleading. They exaggerate the worth of the sector by up to 700% while it's standard business practice. I always make it sound wonderful. And it says banks of diesel generators that have been built for when the turbines fail are to produce electricity because of a lack of wind. And thousands of dirty diesel generators have been secretly prepared all over Britain to provide emergency backup and prevent the national grid collapsing when the wind power fails. And under the hugely costly scheme, the national grid is set to pay up to 12 times the normal wholesale market rate for the electricity they generate. One of the main beneficiaries of the stoppage or stopgap plan is the government itself, which stands to make hundreds of millions of pounds by leasing out the capacity of the generators in public sector property, including national health service hospitals, uh, prisons, military bases, police and fire headquarters, schools and council offices. But the losers will be consumers uh, who can expect yet further hikes in their electricity bills in the name of combating climate change. Now, it's interesting here, uh, that list there, hospital, prisons, military bases, police and fire, that's what Maurice Strong said back uh, when he was privatizing Ontario Hydro, the electric, uh, the publicly owned electric organization. He was set in from, he was, came over from the United Nations to do it. And he was actually getting two paychecks. It broke out in the papers. He was still getting paid by the United Nations and he was taking a paycheck from Ontario for privatizing this. But he said at the time eventually we'll have generators attached to all these particular institutions. And he mentioned ones like these, you see. Everything that happens isn't happening spontaneously. It was planned years ago by guys like Maurice Strong that no one elects into any position. The guy who brought out the Rio uh, meeting, of course, and, and, and we all signed on to that for sustainability. This is but the losers will be cons- consumers, as I say. The scheme is expected to cost a billion a year by 2015, adding 5% on energy bills. It'll be a lot more than that. 
It's a direct consequence of the renewable energy policy adapted by the coalition, but first developed by Tony Blair in response to EU renewables directives to reduce Britain's carbon emissions by 20% by 2020. And as more and more wind turbines are built to replace fossil fuels, so the national grid will become increasingly unstable because wind power is intermittent, unpredictable and unreliable. Wind now constitutes about 10% of Britain's energy mix, and our current government targets the plan to increase this by, uh, to 25% by 2020. And again, too, we're, we're taught that everything's fair in the system. I, I don't understand how people can keep living uh, more and more years, and, and they, they still think the system must be fair. They want to believe. They really want to believe, don't they? This is Prince Charles' aid is grilled by members of Parliament over tax affairs. I guess it's to divert them from the fact that the MPs are all snorting coke. But anyway, it says that uh, the Prince of Wales is not liable. Listen to this in Britain. The Prince of Wales is not liable to pay corporation or capital gains tax. A senior royal aide has told MPs on the Public Accounts Committee. William Nye said the Duchy of Cornwall, which provides the heir to the throne with a private income, was not a corporation and that the prince voluntarily pays income tax, but he doesn't have to. So if you're not a corporation, you don't have to pay tax, income tax. Eh? And it says, Committee Chairwoman and Labour MP Margaret Hodge questioned the fairness of the tax arrangements. It says, the, the, the Duchy estate that gets all the cash from is worth £762 million. It was paid £19 million from the, the state last year. That's not a bad deal. It's also paid money from the British government, by the way, for all his, his, his world tours and stuff, you know, for waving his hand and waving the flag and all that. But it says, so does the Queen, she's a salary as well. It says, but from the state last year, I was paid just over £4 million in income tax and, and VAT. So, and all that cash is brought in, he voluntarily just simply put out £4 million. But he doesn't have to. Uh, so Mrs. Mrs. Hodge said the committee wanted to reflect on the current arrangements to see whether or not they reflect the reality of the world today. But they're all aides said the prince's estate doesn't pay capital gains tax because he doesn't have access to the capital gains. He doesn't have access to it. The capital gains are all reinvested in the duchy for future dukes. This is how they do everything, you understand, and trusts and all the rest of it. Mr. Nye told MPs that profits were used to pay for the prince's public duties, as well as those of his uh, wife, the Duchess of Cornwall, and those of Prince William, the Duchess of Cambridge, and Prince Harry. He said that if Parliament legislated to prevent Prince Charles using his private income in this way, it would cost taxpayers more to pay for his official duties. Well, they already pay for that. And he would be free to spend his money on other things. So, it says, what was a medieval entity, royalty, has been transformed into a business. Of course it has. And this is Paula uh, Diggle, a senior treasury official appearing before the committee, defended the prince's tax arrangement, saying that he does not pay capital gains tax because he always reinvests any profits, profits from sales. She'll, she'll get a, a, a little lighthood, won't she? Paula Diggle. She'll be giggling, eh? Anyway, I put this article up tonight too, because nothing changes, eh? Nothing changes. It's voluntary for him, you see. He's not a corporation, you see. And in Scotland, of course, with its public-private partnership deals and big scams on the go like every other country, for, for school meals, they're actually flying uh, chicken in from Thailand. 
you see. Can't give it to local folk to, to have chicken farms. Oh no, fly it in from Thailand. So it's a g- generic, <laughs> I don't want generic, chicken nuggets. It said that uh, some councils are flying chicken nuggets from Thailand for the school dinners, the Scottish Greens have said. The party has said that one council of Stirling served chicken that was shown to have come from Scotland. Only one said that. Another five, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, Aberdeen, Perth and Kinross, all source a chicken product for their school meals from Thailand. And Edinburgh, Dundee, Perth and Kinross and Highland source a chicken product from the Netherlands. The Scottish Green Party sent freedom of information requests to council leaders in Scotland, seven cities asking where they get their chicken for their school meals. And the Stirling Council was the only authority that said it sourced its chicken from Scotland, with 90% of its meat coming from north of the border, while 10% came from elsewhere in the UK. Of course, the Greens are on for sustainability too. They don't want to eat meat at all. Eh? But they use this kind of thing for themselves to get some little brownie points when it suits them. And this is a public-private deal. Internationalism is great. This globalism, isn't it? Fantastic. You end up with no work at all at home. And this article, too, is to do with um, smart meters, of course. You know, it says ComEd, ComEd, the company, and GE, General Electric, signed $200 million uh, smart meter deal. ComEd, a unit of Chicago-based Exelon Core, picked General Electric to deliver about 4 million smart meters from 2013 to 2021 in a deal worth more than $200 million. By deploying advanced meters across its Illinois service territory, along with other components of its grid modernization initiative, Comet expects to transform the delivery of electricity to homes and businesses to give consumers, I love this, the con they always tell you, and give consumers greater control over their energy consumption and costs. Really? The smart meters will allow ComEd's customers to better manage their energy use and help ComEd more quickly detect and restore power outages. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. I also put up an article about France also rolling out their smart meters to World Grid, you see. It's a World Grid smart grid. IBM designed it and all the rest of it, and we didn't vote for any of it. But of course, we don't get anything. We don't get to vote on anything that really matters, do we? And we'll go to Chris from Canada, if he's still on the line there. Hello? Hi. Yes. Are you familiar with the, uh, the, the, the municipal primer documents? I I don't I don't know. I may have go over it. You know. Well, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, basically it's a, a local action plan LA21. Basically oh yeah, based, yeah, yeah. Loosely based on Agenda 21. That's right. Sustainable development. I see Bruce is strong yeah. is right in the literature. Yeah. Yeah, his name is right in there. I mean, if that doesn't tell you something's wrong with this whole this whole picture. That should be a red flag right there. His name is right in it. If you if you Google it, um, the, the the municipal primer, mm-hmm. um, and you read through it, you'll see Maurice Strong was a very very uh, uh, his name is in it, and he was a very strong proponent of uh, of making this this action plan. It's all for all municipalities. Yes, it's the same level. deal. It's across the U.S. and it's I C L E I. They call it. Uh, Agenda 21 uh, Sustainability and Millennium Project. 
And you're, you're right on. I mean, and that all came out again from the Rio summit with Maurice Strong. It was all part of it. And of course, they have all these NGOs working and, and grafting them on, on themselves onto local councils. We don't get to vote for that happening either. And even in Sunbury, we've got a, a council now comprised of Greenies that just grafted themselves on uh, to, to the council there. And now they're deciding if you can do something on your land or not do something on your land, etc., etc. Uh, and these are unelected people that just graft themselves on to the councils for sustainability. But you're dead on that Maurice Strong is a big guy behind it. And what a history this Maurice Strong has got. I mean, he was picked up by, by Rockefeller as a young guy and trained... And then they put him into, in charge of oil fields, you know how the big business really works. And then they put him across the world in big positions and so on. And then he comes, he's given the top jobs at the United Nations one after another. Even the World Bank he's been in charge of at one point. And then they put him in charge of setting up China for the massive trade that was to come at the present time. Before China even had the factories, he was put over there and he's been living there for a long time. And then you find out too that Morris is strong, his aunt, his aunt, uh, was uh, the advisor to Mao Zedong. I don't know if you know that, because a documentary done by the CBC shows I'm going putting the flowers on her grave when he was over, living over there, and he explained that there she was an international revolutionary, as he is too, of course. And see, the real international revolutionaries are not what you think they are. Uh, these are guys are the guys who are the richest people on the planet, even though they'll use communism when it suits them, but they're really the richest guys on the planet, like Rockefeller himself, of course. And Maurice Strong also is a guy behind the privatization of Ontario uh, Hydro, the power company that the public utilities all owned. They sent him over from the United Nations for the job. He was put in charge of it by Bob Ray at the time. And, um, and he privatized it to, to Ontario Power Corps. And there was no asking the public, do you mind if we privatize what you own, you own because you set it up by your tax money, and of course he did it. So now that your 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 money, uh, your your electricity is going out of sight, but you're dead on. Maurice Strong's behind all of these big movements, and he's given the royal treatment and red carpet across the world today. We've well, never elected him in any position. No one has. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God, your gods go with you.